We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we have yet another post-game episode here live on Twitter Spaces. I'm actually here solo to recap the Hornets 133-115 win over Minnesota. After the recap, too, I actually have three listener questions to get to at the end. And as always, I'll take any speaker request if you guys have any comments on the Hornets. So the Hornets did come up with a huge win against the T-Wolves and snapped Minnesota's five-game win streak. Uh, some pregame stuff before I get into kind of the individual recap here. Mason Plumley was ruled out and P.J. Washington was inserted into the starting lineup tonight. Uh, this was a lineup that only played one minute prior to tonight's game and I think probably a lot of Hornets fans thought uh, coming into the season that a lineup of Ball, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, and P.J. Washington would be one that was often used but I think obviously because of P.J.'s injury status it just hasn't played that much so I'm just going to break this down player by player and then at the end of it all I do have three listener questions that I want to get to first off let's start with LaMelo uh, felt like he was pushing the pace, especially in the first half, at a higher clip than normal uh, tonight. It felt like he was always going 90 miles an hour. And with that, he was getting a ton of open looks for his teammates. And they didn't always end in assists because I think in the first half, he ended up with nine assists, but it probably could have been closer to like 12 or 13. And I think Minnesota knew how much of an issue he could be for their defense. And Minnesota, pretty much at all times, if they were on the court, they used either Vanderbilt or Jaden McDaniels on him at various points in this game. And both of those players are very much rangy defenders who can give anyone trouble. So with LaMelo pushing the pace, it kind of negated those two players getting set up on the defensive side of the court. Uh, when it did slow down a little bit, you kind of saw those two players give him a little bit of a struggle, but 
anytime that happens, they do use a pick and roll and, and try to get LaMelo with a head of steam going downhill. And I thought he was very effective again, despite not shooting the ball the greatest. Like, I think that's always going to be something with LaMelo. He's going to find open teammates. Uh, his best assist of the night, or what I would consider his best assist of the night, came at the end of the first half which was like a wild ending to this first half where the T-Wolves had like a four-on-one or a five-on-one, some kind of lopsided break. And Hayward gets the block. And as he's falling out of bounds, LaMelo saves it and like all-in-one motion hits this baseball pass to Miles Bridges for the bucket before the buzzer. So that was one of my favorite plays from LaMelo. And uh, yeah, we, we saw them just hit ahead, hit ahead, hit ahead, move the ball really, really quickly. And especially in the first half, LaMelo was just pushing the pace. And and this is not like a criticism of him by any means, but and it not something that needs to happen right this minute. But one thing he'll have to continue to work on is his pull-up mid-range shot. He creates such an advantage off that pick and roll, especially when it's Bridges as the roll man that teams are on high alert for that lob. They're on high alert for cutters because he can find players that might have just an inch of space and they'll give them that space for that, that floater. But there was this one play in the first half where LaMelo had a pretty open pull-up mid-range shot and he kind of was caught in two minds and hesitated on this pull-up mid-range shot. Missed it, but again, that, that's just something moving forward that he probably needs to add to his game. And then last thing, because he's so good with his anticipation, uh, you see him try to make plays on the defensive end of the court and get steals. Uh, And there's this one play in the first half where he was behind uh, Anthony Towns trying to get a steal on an entry pass. But I think it was McLaughlin for Minnesota found his man kind of backdoor for an easy layup. So LaMelo, very good game despite not shooting the ball, but that's always going to be LaMelo's thing. He can impact the game in so many different ways, even if his shot's not falling. Uh, Rozier continues his hot play past handful of games. He's played well, shooting the ball well from behind the arc. Um, and he's doing it prior to like the third and the fourth quarter. I feel like his first handful of games back from his injury, it seems like he turned it on late in the game, but did not put together a complete four quarters of play. Tonight, he shot the ball three of three from behind the arc and was 50% on, on two-point attempts and scored 15 points. One of the more interesting plays with Rozier tonight, but not unsurprising if you've watched this team at all this year, was the dunk he had in the first quarter. You can call it a dunk on Anthony Edwards, whatever you want to call it, but it was off a made three-pointer from D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, last time I checked, I think the Hornets are still the fastest team in the NBA after makes, and they're like top three or four when it comes to efficiency off opponents that make the shot. So, if your opponent, you have to know this coming into the game that you can't be celebrating a made three-point shot as your man leaks down the court. And that's exactly what D'Angelo Russell did tonight. Made a three. I think it was in the first quarter. Rozier just takes off, uh, and they hit him with that hit-ahead pass. And I guess the last thing I'll comment on Rozier before I move on to someone else. One underrated thing that I'm seeing with Rozier lately has been his anticipation with those off-ball steals kind of like what LaMelo does. So if you want to sound smart, you know, don't just bring up his shooting, bring up his steals as well. It's definitely been a thing with him recently. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get to Gordon Hayward. Had a little bit of a bounce-back game. He did struggle mightily against the Orlando Magic in the last game. And I'm sure in his mind he was... Still frustrated tonight with the officiating. Didn't seem like a lot of calls went his way, but he kept plugging away. Shot the ball well from all over the court. He had a huge and one on a Euro step and kind of like in a semi-transition play. It was a very difficult shot to make, uh, and he did it through contact. So it was good to see Hayward bounce back. I don't have his line in front of me. Let me pull it up real quick. Gordon Hayward, 7 of 13 from the field, 2 of 5 from behind the arc. And 18 points. And again, take this with a grain of salt, but his plus minus was a plus 13. Also had six assists and six rebounds. So I felt like this was a bounce back game for him, even though he was talking to the refs a lot, uh, not getting the calls that he wanted. So 18 points on 64% true shooting percentage. Uh, Other kind of quick bullet point notes from this game. I think that Miles Bridges has been hitting kind of a rough stretch recently in terms of just not putting together a consistent game from quarter one to quarter four. But the second half tonight for Miles Bridges, he really turned it on, especially when Minnesota was going to Carl Anthony Towns a lot. And Carl Anthony Towns in that third quarter felt like he was kind of going off a little bit, drawing fouls. It was very much needed. Uh, the Miles performance in that third quarter had a couple of threes. He even had a very difficult up and under make that kind of kept the lead at a comfortable distance for the Hornets because it did feel like Cat was bringing the T-Wolves back in that third quarter just a little bit, just a little bit, and uh, no one was really stepping up, especially in the beginning in that middle portion of that third quarter, 
except Miles Bridges, who did a very good job in the second half tonight. So I would still like to see him put together a complete game. It feels like those have been few and far between the past handful of games. And he actually was five of six from the free throw line tonight. Something about the free throws for him this year has not been as good. I can't put my finger on why, but it's just kind of been a thing this year after shooting the ball so well from the free throw line last year. PJ, I don't think he played bad by any means. Like he shot the ball really, really well from behind the arc, five of seven tonight. But I do think that stat line kind of fluffed his performance a little bit because Cat was definitely a tough cover for him. Well, he's a tough cover for anyone, but especially for someone that's coming back off of an injury and and trying to get back into game shape. But PJ, you know, he kind of traded threes for twos in that fourth quarter where he would give up buckets to Cat, but he would go back down and, and hit a three. But he was just overmatched physically, and uh, I think that's probably to be expected, even if he was fully healthy and back in game shape. Uh, but other than that, nothing really like too noteworthy from him behind, besides the behind-the-arc shooting. And then the bench play was huge. 55 points for Charlotte tonight. Minnesota still performed well off the bench as well. Beasley shot the heck out of the ball. Kelly Oubre, Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, those are your three consistent players that get you know, upwards of 20-plus minutes a night off the bench. You got Nick Richards as well, but he typically plays like in the teens. And you know, he had he had an okay game. But Kelly Oubre, like he is a very, very like polarizing player when it comes to his performance, right? Like some nights he shoots 0 of 6 and he keeps shooting the ball. Uh, tonight was definitely a good Ubre night. He finished with 27 points and shot the ball uh, 7 of 13 from behind the arc. And this was his fifth game that he has scored 20-plus points off the bench, which is a good sign. Cody Martin played well. Great defense again. Picked up a charge. He even had a possession where he was guarding Nas Reed at one point and had a very good contested shot on him. He's very good in the grab-and-go game. Did he make a three tonight? No, he was 0 of 1 tonight from behind the arc. But other than that, very good uh, play from him. And then Jalen McDaniels, not Jaden McDaniels, but Jalen McDaniels shot the ball well from behind the arc. I think all of his makes came in the first half from behind the arc, if I'm not mistaken. He was 3 of 4 from behind the arc and finished with 14 points. So another good bench performance from Ubre, Martin, and McDaniels. And like Eric Collins noted, if Kelly Ubre has a good night for the Hornets, it typically results in a win for the Hornets. But other than that, I could just kind of ran down, you know, in the 10 minutes here, my thoughts on the individual players from tonight. This makes, what, eight of nine games for the Hornets they've won. They have a chance to make it nine of 10 on Saturday versus the Rockets. It feels like a trap game, but, you know, you got to have faith that they're going to get it done uh, against, I think, is the worst team in the Western Conference or even the worst team in general. I do have a couple of questions from Twitter, but I do want to get to the under construction speaker request here. Let me get to you. Oh, you might be muted. I'm so sorry, man. I messed that up all the time. My microphone was off. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Man. But um, I, I was wanting to kind of talk about LaMelo Ball and the tone he set in the first quarter, because what I really loved about the Hornets tonight was the pace. Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought they played really fast tonight, uh, you know, offensively, you know, defensively. I kind of liked the fact that they were all over the place. They were trapping the ball. And I just kind of think that needs to be a, a trend going forward. You know, we, we saw LaMelo Ball not hit, you know, not really hit a ton of shots in the first half, but he was making 
you know, he, he made his effect on the game in other ways. And I thought setting the pace, you know, having those nine assists in the first quarter, you know, that really kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. And, uh, and I think it's, it's important for the Hornets to get off to those good starts and to specifically play, play at that pace in the first quarter going forward. I just kind of wanted to see what you thought about that as well. Yeah, I think you might have joined a little late, but that's probably the first point that I talked about with this game. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Lamella was, like I said, was pushing the pace at a higher clip than I thought he, you know, he has in past games. And the point that I did make was the Timberwolves were placing either Vanderbilt or McDaniels on him and slowing him down a little bit. They have length, they're a little bit rangy. So if you can get out and push the pace like Lamelo does, even off makes, off rebounds, off steals, it doesn't give the defense time to to set up. And uh, yeah, he definitely created tons of open looks for his teammates. Uh, it didn't always end in assist. I know Gordon Hayward missed a couple of buckets early in the first quarter. Um, some other players did as well. But yeah, he's going to affect the game when he had six Six assists in the first quarter, nine assists in the first half, but it probably could have been closer to like 13 assists. And yeah, and one, one other point I wanted to make, because we, we, see, we see the score was 133 to 115, and, you know, I, I kind of think that the, the pace is also important. If you're going to really, I don't know, <laughs> effectively play defense, if that, if that makes any you know what I mean? Um, I, we, we got stops when we needed to, but at the same time, I mean, we still gave up 118 points. Just kind of wanted to see see your thoughts on, you know, was that due to more so because of the pace of the game or was it just, I don't know, was it just kind of defensive lapses on, on, on our end? No, I think it's probably more to the pace of the game and the number of possessions that went up. I don't think the Hornets played bad defensively particularly. Right. I would have to go back. Like, right. de- defense is one of those things where it's hard to kind of catch in the moment in terms of like, unless it's something very glaring, but if I went back and rewatched this game, maybe I can give you more specifics. Uh, but yeah. overall, I don't think they played bad by any means. Uh, it, it, it probably had a lot to do with the number of possessions and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and just, and, you know, one last point I, and I'll take it off here, but I uh, just uh, was kind of looking at the time Nick Richards, you know, uh, was, it was inserted to the game. And I was thinking to myself, like, it's a, it's a tough ask, to ask anybody to guard Carl, Carl Anthony Towns, but especially a young center such as Nick Richards. And, you know, it, it was kind of the same thing we've been seeing from him throughout the season. Like, he has those wild moments. You know, he, he'll mm-hmm. he'll block the shot. We'll, we'll fall in love with the rim protection. But at the same time, I just thought he looked kind of lost tonight. And that's probably why we saw P.J. guard Cat more than we did Nick. Yes, I would agree, and I think they almost saved P.J. towards the end to guard Cat. I think Richards is definitely a physical player, and that's something that you would need with Cat, but also when it comes to Nick Richards playing out in space, it takes him a while to kind of get going. Uh, There was this one play where he just was like a step or two slow, and it's just like he could never catch up to Cat, and it ended up probably in a foul, if I'm not mistaken. And Richards actually ended up with four fouls tonight in his 14 minutes of play. So, yeah, he's very limited in what he can do out in space, but I do like his physicality uh, when it comes to his defensive side of the court. You're just going to have to live with Cat getting his points in a game like this, and I think the Hornets were okay with that. Uh, Before I get to my Twitter questions, i got one more speaker request. So, Jamie, any thoughts? Hi there, yeah. I was going to say, um, obviously it was one, one of our better games this season. 
and um, Plumley was missing. Do you think when he's back from injury, he might struggle to get back into the starting five? It's a good question. I would say no. I just think that JB favors Plumley as the starter. I don't know what PJ would have to do in these games that he is absent to kind of sway him. The thing is with PJ Washington, and it's something that we've talked about a lot when it comes to him and his role in this team. He's always going to be a guy that's considered to close the games for the Hornets because of his ability to switch across a couple of positions, because of his ability to create that spacing on the offense. And we saw tonight the way that he's able to play the pick and pop game and kind of drift out to above the break and and hit those threes like he did tonight. So if he's hitting the threes like he does tonight, it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor to end the games. But Overall, we've seen a trend with Borrego in years past. Like he'll he'll start Plumley, and kind of like they've started Bismack in the past. It's more of kind of a nominal thing more than anything else. And uh, if Plumley's having a good game, there'll be games like that where he ends the game as well. But no, I, I don't think that he'll lose his starting spot to PJ Washington. I, I guess the real question becomes is how serious is the injury to Plumley? Because obviously the lengthier it is, I guess it gives PJ more of an opportunity to stake his claim in the starting role. But overall, I would say no. I wouldn't think that he is is, is someone that would be worried about losing his, uh, his spot there. So, all right, a couple listener questions and then I'll get you guys out of here. The first one was from Keith, a longtime listener on Twitter at K-I-E-F underscore W. It's a very... Topical question. How many games do Kai Jones and Book Knight play in Greensboro? Coincidentally, both of those guys played tonight in Charlotte. I actually had to look up the number of games in a G League schedule because I just didn't know that. And I guess there's 36 games in the regular season, and there's something called the Showcase Cup, which is 14 games. So if my math is correct, 36 plus 14 that gets you to 50 games. So unless I'm missing something, that's the ballpark that we're playing off of here. So, so far, currently both Kai and Book Knight have played three games with the Swarm. Kai has been fairly decent, been rebounding the ball pretty well. His fouls and turnovers have not been good. He's averaging like over five fouls a game, turning the ball over, I think, over twice a game. I actually personally think Kai, of the two, will probably spend more time in Greensboro than Book Knight. I can see him playing, you know, maybe close to 20, 25 games of those 50. And maybe that's on the low end. I don't know. It's, it's hard to put my finger on, on these types of questions. I think he needs kind of more of that developmental piece. And he's not quite ready yet. Even though the Hornets have question marks at the center rotation, there's at least bodies ahead of him. You know, Plumley, Richards, P.J. Washington, who plays the five almost exclusively now, like those three guys are ahead of Kai Jones. So even though the center position might have question marks, I don't think there's any kind of way that Kai Jones sees consistent minutes at all in Charlotte. So I think it would be best if he did spend a good chunk of his time down in Greensboro. Book Knight as well has looked good in Greensboro. He shot the ball pretty well inside the arc. He's putting up 29 points in Greensboro. I see both sides to this argument in terms of whether or not he should be up with Charlotte or down with Greensboro. I think the question becomes, what what's more important? Would you rather have James Booknight play eight minutes here one night, take four or five games off, come back and play seven minutes and next, next night, don't play for a week straight? Like that's the inconsistency is, is the thing that I struggle with. And there was points in this offseason where I thought he was going to have a bigger role 
than he is having this season, and he's clearly not in the rotation, I think it would be best if he played 30-plus minutes with the Swarm on a semi-consistent basis versus what I just laid out for you, where he plays some nights and not the next, and, and it's kind of on, the, on this up-and-down role with Charlotte. Again, I can't put my finger on the number of games for book night, but to me the biggest thing is having a consistent role. And I guess if that consistent role is here in Charlotte, that's great, but I, I just can't see a path where he's going to be consistent. And maybe that changes. Maybe that changes in, in January and February where maybe injuries start to pile up and people start to wear down. Who knows? But of the two, I, I see Kai Jones playing with the Swarm more than more than book night. All right, second question that I received is from Stu Kremer at Stu underscore Kremer on Twitter. Is there any worry of Miles on ball slash playmaking emergence limiting LaMelo's paths to stardom, similar to how Brandon Ingram forced Lonzo off ball for LA in 2017 through 2019? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think this is an issue at all. I think LaMelo is still getting plenty of touches. We've all seen that. There's definitely a way for both of these things to coexist, both of these things to help, you know, Miles grow, help LaMelo grow. Personally, I think Miles is more of like a second side creator anyways, not a guy that you would put the ball in his hands to initiate any type of offense. He can use his quickness. He can use his strength. He can use his improved ball handling to kind of get to the hoop after the defense is shifting and rotating and starts to break down a little bit. So, no, to answer this question, no. I, I don't think there's any kind of worry that his playmaking ability from Bridges is going to limit LaMelo because LaMelo is still bringing the ball up the court. LaMelo is still having the majority of the touches. And then on the flip side, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for LaMelo to see some time off the ball and find ways to be effective in those types of situations. So uh, to keep it short, I would say say no. I, I don't think there's any kind of worry that it's kind of blocking LaMelo's path to stardom. Uh, last question from Drew Brown. He's a Slack member. And if you guys want to be a part of our Slack app thread, you guys can just DM us a review on Apple Podcasts and you guys get an invite there and they, they talk about the game and, and we kind of chime in as well. But he says this, completely hypothetical, but he loves trades. If the Hornets were to make a trade for a center at the deadline, what type of center do you think would be more beneficial to this team and would be more fit beneficial to Mellow, a guy like Miles Turner who can spread it out, block shots, or more of the mauler type to set hard screens and play post defense like Valanchunas. So this is a very good question. I, I, can, I can actually see the benefit in having either type, um, and maybe there's a player that kind of fits a little bit of those molds both ways. So Turner, and I know he's not asking about Turner specifically, but let's just say Miles Turner was the target for a trade, and I think like, I think his, his value is at an all-time high right now. I think I mentioned that on a previous pod. He's shooting a career best from behind the arc. Even his volume is at a career high, too, from back there. Um, he's not much of a pick-and-lob type of threat, but he's more of like a pick-and-pop out to the mid-range, out to the three-point line more often than not, which is not a bad thing, but it's very similar to what P.J. Washington does. But one thing with Turner, obviously you're going to get the ability to block shots, which is something that the Hornets could always use uh, on the defensive side of the court. And I don't know how available 
Miles Turner is, and we've always heard the connection between Charlotte and Miles Turner. I guess the one thing that's working in Charlotte's favor is the Pacers' kind of slowish start here. It's early, but uh, they have not turned out as good as maybe many people expected. It's still going to require a first-round pick, right? It's still going to require, and I guess maybe it would require P.J. Washington, so they wouldn't be as redundant. I think some people on this pod are more reluctant to give up P.J. Washington. Some people would be like, okay, if you're giving up P.J. Washington for Turner, uh, that makes a lot of sense. It would signal somewhat of a kind of like win-now type of mode. I guess one of the issues in this upcoming draft, I don't think the Hornets have a first-round pick. I don't think, because I think they gave it away uh, to New York, and then there's no way that they're going to get a first-round pick via New Orleans this year. So, you know, there's there's not a center in the pipeline that's coming up. So you're either banking on P.J. Washington and Plumlee turning it on, or you trade for Turner and you make a move and you try to push for it now. So... I like Turner, and I think that maybe I would kind of lean more towards like a Turner-type player than Valachunas. Like Drew mentioned, he's a bruiser type. He's going to be physical in the pick-and-roll. And And he can be a a pick-and-roll partner with LaMelo, but he's not going to be this lob threat. He's going to have this propensity to kind of post up, get his attempts at the rim. He's even good like in the mid-range as well. Good rebounder, which the Hornets could always use as well. So I wouldn't be totally opposed to a player like Valanchunas, but he's not mobile. And I think you need someone that's mobile, both on the offensive end, on the defensive end. And, you know, you got to have a guy that can guard the pick and roll. Because like Plumlee, if you had Valanchunas on this team, those two would feel a little bit redundant in terms of how they play on the defensive side. They'd both be dropping like crazy. You couldn't put them at the level of the screen. So if I had to choose between Turner and Valanchunas, I would definitely choose Turner. He'd be a better fit with the system. He'd be better in transition. But one thing that I would say that I would also look for out of a center for Charlotte, and maybe this is just not attainable. Maybe there's not a guy out there that is available. But like the two biggest qualities that I look for is someone that's a lob threat and then has that kind of explosiveness and, you know, as that rim diver type of guy. And the number two, having some ability to block shots at the rim. So Turner doesn't strike me as a guy, as a lob threat. He's more of like a pick and pop type of guy, but at least he does have that, you know, ability to block shots at the rim. And, and one player, I'll kind of wrap up after this, one player, kind of the mold that I'm looking for, it's probably a fairly unrealistic suggestion here because of his age and because he just signed an extension in the offseason, but I would absolutely love like Robert Williams from the Celtics on this team. He's the mold that I think the Hornets would look for in a center for LaMelo. He gets to the rim. He's a serious threat on the lob. He's a rim protector. Like that's the mold you got to look for there when it comes to going after a center. So I'm not much of a hypothetical guy. I'm not big into like mock trades and all that stuff. I tend to think that the Hornets will be active in trade talks, but I also don't think they're going to give up you know, the farm to get Miles Turner on this team. It's going to require a first-round pick. It's going to require P.J. Washington as well. And in the end, I just don't know. I don't know if that's enough or if that's going to like be enough in, in the eyes of the Hornets and they look towards the future. They're building for LaMelo. Who knows? It might be the right move. I, I just I, I can't fully get on board trading that for Turner. 
All right, guys. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Uh, the Hornets do play Saturday night against the Houston Rockets. Thanks again for tuning in. If you joined late, the full podcast version of this will be out tomorrow morning. Uh, I will check you guys later, and, and thanks for joining. Go Hornets.